In the average lifetime, a person will walk the equivalent of five times around the equator. Children go faster in the springtime. They grow faster. It would take 11 Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other to reach the deepest part of the Gulf of Mexico. One in 5,000 North Atlantic lobsters are born bright blue. Every year, about 98% of the atoms in your body recreate themselves. They're replaced. The average person makes about 1,140 telephone calls per year. Goodbye came from God by, which means and came from God be with you. Minus 40 degrees Celsius is exactly the same as minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. As Irvin's trying to figure that out and do the math in his head, would you like a point? Would it help you to have a point to all of what I just said? I like a point. What can you do with all of that information I just gave you? It might help you on Jeopardy. It might actually help you impress friends at your parties. It might help you start a sermon and have a room full of people look at you really weird and say, what the heck is he talking about? But it will not help you live a deeper and more meaningful life with God. For the most part, that information that I shared, while interesting, is completely and totally useless. And for the last four weeks, I've also given you a lot of information in a series where we learned about the origins of the split between Gentile Christianity and the foundation, Judaism, between and learning about Jesus, Yeshua, his name, born a Jew, grew up a Jew, died a Jew, resurrected a Jew, coming back a Jew, teacher, rabbi, not a radical, almost, almost could be called a Pharisee, though not quite. Not everyone appreciated what he had to say, but a lot of people did, Jews appreciated what he had to say, including Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, and maybe even some zealots. And we talked about his teaching, Torah, Judaism, kingdom, diet, Sabbath, and so much more. And we talked about without the great divorce, how what's happening in this room might have always happened. That this whole room potentially would know Matovu and Barhu and all these other kinds of things because we all would have spoken the singular language of God together, gathered as Acts told us in the synagogue to hear the word of Moses when on Shabbat. And that had that happened, it may be that Acts 2 would have continued as the first community of disciples, all Jews, gathered together to break bread and for the prayers and to fellowship and to share everything they had. And their faith and their love and their commitment to God was noticed and people came in to the community because of it. That might have happened, we learned, over the last several weeks. Because they did in accordance with their rabbi. 
They were disciples. They were students. They learned. They were disciples sitting at the feet of their rabbi. A new religion would not have worked. A a doing away with the Torah would not have worked. And yes, that initial community in Acts 2 was a lot of Jews. But guess what? We learned that all the Gentiles were going to be invited to the party too. And it was supposed to look like this back to the beginning. Therefore, my judgment, Pete James said, James, the brother of Yeshua, says we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, right here, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. We learned a lot of these things. Even within that learning, I want to make one caveat about what I just read. Because when we talked about the dietary laws, I I sort of, I gave you my own midrashic interpretation of that. Uh, but, But I could have left you with the opinion that Paul was saying to you, Gentiles, eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I don't care. He didn't actually say that. But because you're never supposed to eat things sacrificed to idols. And there were some other nuances there. But we learned about the dietary laws, and we learned about the Sabbath. And that's how it was supposed to go. Why did I provide you that information? So that you could become the Jeopardy champion? I don't know the new host. It used to be Alex. I'll take Second Temple Jewish political culture for a thousand, please. (laughs) So that you could sit down with your beverage of choice on the couch and gather around your friends and regale them with your, your knowledge of Second Temple Jewish history. To give you something to do on a Saturday. There's a singular and simple answer to help you live a deeper and more meaningful life with God. How? Well, hopefully, hopefully, and I think it speaks to every person in this room, to help you find the thing, and and not in this room, joining us from all over the world, literally, because all over the world, people are looking for what's missing in their Bible. Not that the word is is faulty, but the interpretation of it and the way we live it out. There's something missing in that. That's why we exist. To help people. To hunger, yes, for more of God through prayer and study and revelation, but also through history, good and bad, scholarship, Context. And yes, interpretations. And don't get me wrong, what you heard is my interpretation along with a number of other people's. But everywhere you go, somebody's giving you an interpretation. But I like to think ours is pretty good. And here's my fear. Here's my fear. We'll say it like this 7.5 million toothpicks can be created from a cord of wood. The plastics things on the end of your shoelaces are called aglets. 
The things that I've shared with you over the last few weeks, I want them to be more meaningful than the aglets on your shoelaces. I don't want them to be things that go in and out your ears and out of your brain and out of your heart. I want them to take up residence there. So the concluding question really is this. What what do we do with this? And the answer is found. It should not surprise any of us in a teaching of the Master Yeshua. Because he was a great, great teacher among many, many other things. And it's this from Luke 5. And I forgot my Bible, but wait. No, I didn't. It's right here. Thank you. He says this, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out. And the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, he says. The old is good enough. And the first question you should be asking yourself right this very moment is, Huh? What does that have to do with anything that we've just said or about keeping things? What in the world? What does that even mean? I don't know what a wineskin is. What? What? What is a wineskin? Well, I hope you are. I hope that you are. But, but first, the context, because I want to tell you a little bit about what Yeshua was doing in Luke 5 when he said these things. He had just, in essence, uh, invited the scum of the earth to be one of his disciples. You know who that was? Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. He saw a certain tax collector named Levi who was sitting in the tax office. He said to him, follow me. He left everything and arose and followed him. Levi made a great banquet for him in his house, and a large group of people, including tax collectors and other men, were reclining with him. The scholars who were among them and the proshim, the Pharisees, grumbled about his disciples and said, Why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Yeshua answered and said to them, The healthy do not need a healer, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to tshuva, to repentance, but the sinners." They said to him, see, the disciples of Yochanan frequently fast and recite supplications. The disciples of the Pharisees do so as well. But your disciples eat and drink. He said to them, can you compel the sons of the wedding canopy to fast when the groom is still with them? However, days are coming when the groom will be taken from them. Then they will fast in those days. And he also told them this parable. No one attaches a patch of new cloth to worn-out cloth, for if he did so, the new one would also be torn. Nor would the new cloth match the worn cloth. No one puts new wine in used wineskins. And that one is right there before you. So he recruits Matthew, this scummy tax collector who literally was lower than low in that day. A Jewish tax collector taking money for Rome from his people. You can't get lower than that. And then he throws him a party with all these other lower than lows. And they all show up. And who else shows up? Yeshua and the disciples. I bet it was really fun. But the Pharisees didn't have an appreciation for it. And they said, what are you doing? Why are you hanging with these people? And it's interesting to note, mark this down. He says, 
The healthy don't need me. I came for the sick. There's a little hint of something in there. He's saying to the Pharisees, you guys kind of know what you're doing. I didn't come for you. You're healthy. You're already devoted to Torah. These other people, they don't know. They're lawless. They've fallen away. They're the sick. And I'm here for them. And they're listening to me. What is he saying here? It ends with this wineskins parable. And what does it have to do with us? Don't put new wine in old wineskins. They'll burst as the new wine ferments. And now you're skinless and wineless. And who wants to be that? But what's it mean? From Chronicles of the Messiah, here's one interpretation. In almost unanimous agreement, what this parable before you means is this. Gospel interpreters and commentators agree that the old wine, the old wineskins symbolize Judaism and Torah, whereas the new wineskins and the new wine symbolize Christianity and grace. Has anyone ever heard an interpretation like that? Or has anyone even ever heard a message about new wineskins in the history of their religious upbringing? The new way of life, they suggest, associated with the gospel is incompatible with the old ways of Judaism. And any attempt that could be made to try to syncretize these two things by putting new wine in this old Jewish wineskin, that, that, that will only destroy both. Now, as you might guess, I have some problems with that interpretation. First of all, it is completely and totally anachronistic. You know that word? Out of time and out of context. Yeshua did not come to start a new religion. At this time, there was no Christianity. If anything, by this point, this would be called the Jesus movement, not Christianity. That was 200 and some years later. So to say that he's, in, that he's pitting Judaism against Christianity is anachronistic. There was no Christianity. Now, he may have, he did expand and improve and fulfill Judaism, but don't get me wrong, what he was fulfilling was within the bounds of Judaism, Second, when we read that text, he says these words, No one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. Do you see a problem in that? If the new wine is the gospel, nobody wants it. That's not a very good marketing campaign for, you know, a very smart rabbi. We have enough. We have what's good, maybe even better. And that line, that line, that bit of text is so controversial that Marcion, second, second century, Dana? Marcion, second century. He, he wanted that out of there. That didn't have any place in there. And a number of Western manuscripts also deleted that line. Why? It's troubling. It's troubling. So, if not that, then what? If not that, then what? Well, it should not surprise us that if we look at a collection called Pirkei Avot of Rabbinic Proverbs that go back to the Mishnah, so this is very, very, very early and into the 
A.D. or, or C.E. period, but these writings of Judaism that go back potentially 200 and some years or more before Yeshua on into 200 years after him, compiled into something called the Mishnah, there's a, book, there's a part called Pirkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers. And here's some of the rabbinic proverbs that will cast for us some symbolism on Yeshua, uh, on what he says here. He was not comparing and contrasting Judaism and Christianity. He was comparing and contrasting different types of teachers and disciples. So look at these. Rabbi Yossi ben Yehuda, the city of Babylon, said, He who learns from the young, under what can he be compared? Learns. He can be compared to one who eats unripe grapes and drinks unfermented wine from his vat. And then we see drinks old wine. And then we have Rabbi Meir. Do not pay attention to the container, the skin. Pay attention to that which is in it. There's a new container full of old wine and new wine. You see some similar terms going on, these rabbinic proverbs? What in the world? What does that mean? They're saying different things. I want you to focus less on what's actually being said and more on the words that are being used. Because it should be very, very obvious that we see discussion here that compares different types of teachers, disciples, and the quality of their scholarship. And it's using some of the very same symbolic language as Yeshua's double parable does. Wine, vats, containers. And if we allow those similes to illustrate, illuminate, elucidate Yeshua's metaphors, and why wouldn't we? Because he's a Jewish rabbi speaking in concert with the age in which he lives. Why wouldn't we let them elucidate what he's saying in this proverb, in this parable? We have surprising results. In Pirkei Avot, the vessels for containing wine are not institutions. They're not religious movements. They're not any of those things or teachings. The vessels are people. The wineskins are people. The wine is the teaching that an individual teacher presents and a disciple's com- uh, disciple consumes. So here's a simple breakdown. The parable. New wineskins equals uneducated students. Old wineskins, previously educated students. New wine equals a new teaching or a new teaching or interpretation of Torah. Old wine, a previously learned teaching or interpretation. Meaning what can we derive? New teaching requires previously uneducated students because previously educated students prefer the Torah they have already learned. Who is he talking to? Who's asking the questions? The religious elite, the Pharisees, who have all the answers. And here's the take-home from a brilliant 18th century 19th century, Messianic Jewish luminary, Rabbi Yechiel Tzvi Lichtenstein. He says, actually, I'll read you some other part. Yeshua, the master, intends by these parables to explain why he has chosen disciples. He's answering the question, why has he chosen the disciples from the uneducated and the sinners and the tax collectors? He came to call sinners to repentance, but he does more than that. He, he, this, this is inadequate to explain why he calls them his disciples. So he goes further. He gives this additional parable. For if the Pharisees and the Torah scholars became his dis- disciples, they were not going to abandon the ways of their earlier learning. And they would remain with the old garment. Likewise, 
One does not put new wine into used skins. These are the Pharisees. Rather, the new wine should be put into new skins. That is, he's choosing new men and women to be his disciples, men who are ignorant and uneducated. That's a little strong. Honey, uh, I, I, uh, I think the rabbi just called us ignorant and uneducated. No, that's not my point. I hope you see the point. It's a very different one. Any time in life when you are confronted with the potential to learn something new, you have a choice. Now, everything we've learned here over the last few weeks may be completely old hat to you. Maybe it's not. But this is still always a lesson that should take up residence within your heart and mind. When you are confronted with something new, particularly spiritual, theological considerations, which do you want to be? New or old? If what you always knew is challenged, if your theological apple cart is turned over for a time, What do you want to do? Disciples who already studied Torah under the Pharisaic schools and had learned these models, they're unlikely to be interested in a new approach, which is exactly what Messianic Judaism asks a lot of people to consider, a new approach. Those students will be apt to disregard contradictory teaching because they've already formed opinions and made their judgments which is what the masses will do when confronted with ideas that challenge the old. And they will go in one ear and out the other if you're lucky, like 7.5 million toothpicks can be made out of a cord of wood. If you're not lucky, they'll stop right in the middle, just enough to argue with you and tell you how horrendously wrong you are before then the new idea goes out the other ear. They will regard the education they have already received as superior. No one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says, the old is good enough. I want to read you something really quickly from an email I got from a Torah club leader in Korea. There are Torah clubs all over the world, and there's several. Korea is exploding with desire to understand Yeshua. As a matter of fact, at this time, thinking of this, it would be incumbent upon all of us to pray for the Koreans who were killed in Atlanta in senseless, senseless insanity. But I got this. I have an encouraging story to share with you from my club in Korea. There's a lady who joined our club a couple of months ago and enjoyed the study very much. Middle school teacher, retiring soon. She's been a believer for almost 50 years She's been enjoying the study with Torah Club ever since she joined, but recently she had a very serious inner conflict about the teaching from the commentary on replacement theology. She felt as if everything she had learned and believed for a long time were all denied, and she felt very uncomfortable, and she became prepared, wanted to stop participating in the club. To make a long story short, she decided to stay with the club because of a comment that I happened to make at the end of a video that we filmed. 
where I said, Torah Club is like a vineyard of new wine. This synagogue is like a vineyard of new wine. But in this case, Torah Club is like a vineyard of new wine. There are challenges. There are reconsiderations. There's difficulties to work through, paradigm-shifting processes. But I'm very confident to say that we all value the gift of being a new wineskin. And this Korean believer of 50 years, he says, considered this challenging process she was going through as a process of being a new wineskin and decided to stay with us to reach the full measure of the Master Yeshua. I applaud her. It is so easy to be dogmatic. There's no wrestling with dogma. Dogma already wins. You're pinned. It's over. I applaud that, and I honestly believe that that is my hope every time I get up here. Not to, not to like challenge you or make you mad, but to confront sometimes with some new ways of thinking about things, all in hopes that when it's all said and done, your walk with God will be deeper. Your appreciation and love for Messiah will be stronger. Not that you possess some tidbit about the fact that your atoms renew themselves every 98. I mean, useless information. It's got to be more. So what do we do with it? Well, how about, how about this concluding question? What would Jesus do? No, that's not the question. Because we can answer, what did Jesus do? No, that's also not the question. Because we already know that. There are Gospels that tell us what he did and, and what we should do. And I understand that was the purpose of the bracelet, was to always to remind you not to sin. Jesus wouldn't do that. But, but in our context, the question is not what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do, but what will I do now that I know what Jesus did? Where do I go from here? So I, I would send you back to week two to read something about adaptive challenge that, or listen to something that I said about being inner, inner conflict and adaptive challenge. But here are some closing suggestions for prospective prospective new wineskins. First of all, here's where we don't go. We don't go to Acts 15.5 where, you know, you had people saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and direct them to keep the law of Moses. Nobody's trying to make you a Jew. Nobody's trying to tell you that you have to convert or do any of those things. And certainly I'm not speaking down to the church or Christians or any of that. I've said that enough, but I say it because I never want it to be forgotten. No one should, be, should feel subordinate or, or, or wrong. But here are some things that this is about. About those willing to entertain being a new wineskin. It's about making everyone think a little bit more about the, deep, uh, the Bible. And whether it's new now or new in a little bit when you're challenged with something, consider the concepts. Right now, if what you're learning is challenging you, that's great. Consider the concepts and the context. Read your Bible a little differently. Use sort of a Jewish mind to think about it. To not be content with old wine. 
Now, it's sort of a weird parable because I think old wine is supposed to be better than new wine, but I guess it depends on the, vin- the vintage. But we don't want old wine, so here we go. Study. <laughs> Study the Bible. And then you can participate in this synagogue. If you're a visitor here or online, don't be. Don't just be that. Don't just be show and tell. You know, I went to this interesting Jewish church where I learned something from this funny rabbi. No, plug in. And you might not be able to be here every week. That's understandable. Tune in during the week. Listen to teachings. Plug in. And hey, we don't care if you support the work we're doing either. But we're here to help. Jews, Gentiles, one in Messiah, Acts 15. Let's build a strong community within the synagogue. Online, local, around the world, I don't care. We're here for you. First Fruits of Zion is an incredible learning source. FFOZ.org. You can learn, 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 learn. Dave and Melanie and uh, Emery and Lance host a Jesus My Rabbi Torah Club in Macon on Saturdays after services. You can go and have discussions with disciples about this kind of stuff. Not just listen to me talk about toothpicks for 40 minutes. Darren Huckey has written books and commentaries and blogs. There's a lot of information. David Higginbotham hosts a 17-hour Torah study after (laughs) Shabbat. I mean, you can learn, you can learn, you can learn. And learning is great. Study to show yourself approved. Study, get in there and do it. But guess what? Apply it. Do something with it. What can I do? What can I do? How about this? How about just this for a start? How about Friday we learn that the Sabbath is not on Sunday, obviously. We probably all knew that already. But what about if Friday night? Well, I don't have any kids. I mean, last night you guys had the candles and the kids and all the fun. We, it's just me and him. <laughs> I don't care. Both of you spend time with one another in a unique way on Friday night. Or Saturday, reading something about creation or having a glass of wine and sanctifying the kid, uh, the Sabbath. Is that really difficult? Just make sure it's new wine. Here's this quote from Isaiah for all of my Gentile brothers and sisters. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord. Say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants... All who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant. Guess where you get to go? My holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. There is a blessing universal. The Sabbath was given to all mankind. This is a great starting place to just Step out and drink some new wine. The festivals, we have Passover coming up. We have Meal of Messiah. You know what? I don't know how to do a Seder. Okay, fine. Someone in this room does, and they will invite you to their Seder. 
You can, you can learn. I don't know how to do a Seder. Okay, go to Kroger or Publix, buy yourself a box of matzah and a jar of horseradish. And next Saturday night, if nothing else, break the matzah, put some horseradish on it, and eat it. Guess what you just did? The available biblical commandment for the Pesach. We can't eat lamb. We don't have a temple. But you can just engage in that little bit. Well, so what? What's that going to do? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. You cannot go wrong doing the word of God. And maybe you didn't know that four weeks ago, but now you do. And I promised you I'd close, but let me just do this for fun. Let me do this for fun. Eating biblically. Oh, man, don't you dare go there. A biblical diet, because remember, Jesus didn't declare all foods clean. Will it be adaptive? Will it be difficult? Uh Trust me. Crawfish head-sucking rabbi, yes, it can be difficult. But here's the beauty. Well, honey, do you want to say grace? Yes. Thank you for this food, God, and may it be nourishment to our soul. And Okay, amen. I'm sorry, you don't say amen, you say amen. Amen. And that type of prayer. Just imagine this scenario. You go out to the place to eat, and you're looking at the menu. And what is the thought going through your mind? It's not, I'm just, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Instead, an idea is, wow, God actually spoke about some of the things that I should eat. I could honor those words by the choices I make in what I put in my mouth. Is that a criticism, a condemnation, a Jewish guilt trip? I'm good. I learned it from the best. (laughs) No, it's not that. It's the same thing as getting a box of matzah and some maror. Start. Even if it's just on Friday night that you don't eat ham. I mean, that's something. Because here's the deal. You know, I love, there's, what is the, what is the pastor's tithing scripture? When you're going to get a message about tithing, what's the scripture? Who said it? Malachi. Here it is. Friends, I want to encourage you. I'm sorry. Friends, I want to encourage you. You got to do that politician knuckle thing. It's called the Bill Clinton, but a lot of people use it since. Friends, if you really want to do it, I want to double encourage you. God has a promise, and he has so much faith in this promise that this one time in the Bible, he tells you, if you'll pull out your checkbook, 
You can go ahead and test me in this. I'm going to open up the windows in heaven and a blessing going to flow out of here. That's the scripture for tithing. And it is completely taken out of context for one thing. But here's the great thing. Yeah, you know what? You should support the synagogue. I don't know that God's actually going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out grain and barley that overflows out of the windows of your car. (laughs) I don't know that for sure. I do know that many, many, many people's lives testify to the fact that when they support their local congregation, that it does something good. Okay? And we can, that's a message you'll probably never hear me hear. So I was going to say we can talk about that later. You'll never hear me say. I was going to say we could talk about that later, but we probably won't. If you don't know that, okay, sorry. God has made all kinds of promises. We don't have to put the Lord our God to the test because who said we shouldn't? Both the Torah and, and Yeshua. You can't go wrong pursuing the word of God and the Torah and the things that we've learned about and the things that Yeshua taught. These are God's word. So forget the beautiful Malachi promise. I promise you, if you internalize some of the things that we've said and don't let them go in and out one ear, you will be blessed. There's, this, there's a prayer that begins, and I really am closing, I promise you. There's a, there's a prayer in, it's, they're called the Birkat Hashakar. I had to think of it. The morning blessings. They're all kinds of, what did I say? Did I say it right? Birkot, Birkot Hashakar. And one of them says, Baruch Atar Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Malbish Arumim which means, blessed are you, O Lord our God, who clothes the naked. So when you wake up, you say, opens my eyes, has straightened the bent, you've given me clothes, you set my feet on the path, you, all these beautiful blessings. But one of the things in Hasidic Judaism that's interesting about the morning blessings is that it's always taught that whatever you do one at a time, you should put your right one on first. So in this instance, I was watching some video and I was reminded of this, and it was put the right shoe on first, right sock, right shoe. Why? The right is the hand of power. And, you know, Yeshua is seated at the right hand of God. We could even messianicanize that. So I set out to start doing that because I never done it before. I never really paid attention to it. And I thought, you know what? I like that. I'm going to do that. Every time I get dressed, I'm going to put my right shoe on first. Do you know how difficult it was for me? I don't know why. Pay attention to what shoe you put on first. I guess I have always, being right-handed, put my left shoe on first. And I would do it, and I'd go, doggone it, wrong shoe. (laughs) And then the next day, reach for the left. Oh, no, I'm going to do that one because that means right. No, And, And then the next day, left, left shoe. Left shoe, occasionally the right shoe, left shoe. Guess what? To the people who say to me, I don't know how to do those Jewish things. I'm not Jewish. It's not. What happened with my shoe? No matter what shoe I put on first, you know what I was thinking of? Hashem. 
God. First thing, left or right shoe, it doesn't matter. My mind was consumed with, I'm doing this so that I remember that God is clothing me. Sometimes the details can come later. Sometimes you just get started. Yeah? I feel good saying that. I hope you do. I want (laughs) to... So that's that. That's five weeks of what Jesus did and what Jesus would do and what you should do that you, you know, now know what Jesus did. So what are you going to do with it? It's the beginning, it's it's the end of a series, but it's the beginning of a new wineskin walk, if you're willing to give that a shot. If I could tell you the number of stories in this room of people and all over the world, literally. I get to see it so often from First Roots of Zion. I have seen it personally in, I was going to say hundreds, dozens of lives within this building over the years. Walking so much more intensely and intently with God. And it, it doesn't have to mean you get weird or that you lose all your friends or can never set foot in your church again because they'll put a red J on your chest. it's like the road to Emmaus. They didn't really see, and they were confused by the fact that Yeshua could be so confused. But he wasn't confused at all. And he said, let me show you how beautiful and where the story is. All in the Word of God. So new wineskins. Yeshua said he could do the most with them. I would like to be one. I hope that you would too. And last but not least, the elephant is the only animal with four knees. Shabbat shalom. (laughs)